0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show we're going to be talking a little about manure. Now, (laughs) this is kind of a smelly topic, but uh, we're going to cover it today and just talk about how you can get the most out of your manure and reduce that smell. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so I want to start the show uh, just getting right into this manure topic, and a little bit later on in the show, we're going to get to your questions in the agphd mailbag. But here are the few things that I'll, I'll tell you about this. To begin with, for Darren and myself, we grew up on a farm that had hogs and cattle and we had a lot of hogs. Um, usually we had about a thousand head of hogs, which at the time was, was quite a few, uh, compared to a lot of other people in our area. And it smelled really bad. But our dad would always say this. He'd go, boys, that's the smell of money. And later in life, I learned that is not the smell of money. Manure is not the smell of money. What it is, is it's the smell of lost money. What are you smelling when you smell that manure? Well, it's probably ammonia And maybe hydrogen sulfide but here's the thing oh and I'll say to you some people will say how about methane well keep in mind methane is odorless but I don't care if we're talking ammonia methane hydrogen sulfide whatever it is all of those gases contain nutrients that our crop could desperately use most years so where I'm going with this is if you're if you have bad odor from manure that's telling you that you've got dollars floating up into the air every day. If you could harness those dollars, put them into the ground, then it's great for the next crop or maybe the crop or two after that. So we want to do everything we can as farmers and as agronomists to figure out how do we capture all that, put it into the soil. So we'll talk about that a little bit in the show today. One of the most important things that we will often discuss though, along with manure on the, so we talked about the good side of all those nutrients and there are actually a lot of beneficial biologicals or microbes that are in there as well. So all that's great. The biggest downside to manure, other than the smell, is salt. You have to be really careful about how much manure you're putting on, when you're putting it on, where you are placing it, and also thinking about in total what do I really have for salt there. So I'll just give you an example off our own farm. Okay so normally we are getting a lot of dairy manure. We have a big dairy right next to us and on average first year availability has been roughly over the years. 18, 7, 18. So we're getting it for every thousand gallons. It's an 18, 7, 18. And sometimes it's a little more than that. Sometimes it's a little bit less. But the point is every thousand gallons has a fair amount of N, P, and K. Those are those three numbers I just gave you. The problem is every thousand gallons also has a bunch of salt. So we will sometimes see as much as, well, it could be 1% salt, uh, maybe a little less. Uh, One of the tests I've got pulled up right on my screen right now says 0.8% salt. So you start thinking about that. How many total pounds do I have? Well, in this particular case, this sample tells me I've got 69 pounds of salt. So we send these samples off to Midwest Labs and right on their report, they'll say that their recommendation is the most you should put out per acre is 500 pounds of salt. But if you're in an area that gets less than 25 inches of rainfall, which we are, we rarely get more than 25 inches of total annual precip, then you got to go less than 500. Well, even at 500, let's just do the simple math here. So if I take 500 and I'm dividing that by 69, that means I could put on about 7,000 gallons, 7,200 gallons. Well, the dairy wants us to put on 12,000, maybe 15,000 gallons. So you go, huh, you are not in the best area for rainfall, and you want to put on all that salt. How can you get by with that? Well, look, we can't get by with that if we're going to put it in the top six inches. I'm going to tell you right that, that right now. So what we're going to do, and what we've, we've done some of this in the past, is place it deep. We're going to inject a lot of manure 16, 18 inches deep in the ground. Now, I was, telling, I was talking to someone about this, even in the ag industry, just yesterday, and they go, oh, isn't the stuff going to leach out? I said, oh, wait a second here. We have nothing in that manure that's leachable, hardly at all, other than a tiny trace of boron, a little bit of sulfur, and then nitrogen, but the nitrogen is not in the nitrate form initially. Now, there will be ammonium nitrogen that, is going to attach itself to soil fairly well and eventually yes it's going to convert over to nitrate we also have organic nitrogen that's going to release over a period of years it's not available day one so i said day one no we really don't have anything that's going to leach out but it depends a lot on and i was saying earlier when you apply manure if you're going to apply it late in the fall you're usually fine. You got to plant early in the spring. We'll have roots down to 16, 18 inches easily within three weeks after we plant. So there's no problem. We're sucking that out. Now, if you were putting it on, let's say today, and you still have two months to go or maybe three months before freeze up, then yes, you run the risk of having some leaching. So that's where some people will use cover crops or they'll seed a fall crop. Next thing, I was talking about the 18, 7, 18 that we usually will get. So let's go back to this. Let's say I wanted to put 12,000 gallons on. I multiply the 12 times the 18. That means I've got 216 pounds of nitrogen. A lot of our soil is over 20 CEC, cation exchange capacity that is. So there's no real problem with that. I can certainly put 216 pounds on, especially when I figure it's in the ammonium form, not the nitrate form initially. I also want to look a lot at what crop am I raising so how how much yield am I going to get how many of those nutrients am I going to suck out because what you don't want to have happen is you start over applying and over applying and over applying and pretty soon you create nutrient deficiencies in your soil so that's why we always recommend doing a complete soil analysis you don't have to do it every year but every two years every four years do a complete soil analysis see what you really need A lot of people think manure is a complete fertilizer. It's rarely a complete fertilizer. You often have to supplement it with certain specific nutrients, and if you don't, your crop suffers. So we'll talk about manure and get to your calls and questions here during our Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned.
1: No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
2: Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game.
3: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, marestail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
1: AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton Studio. Today on the show, we're talking a little about manure. We are also going to get to your calls and questions here a little later in the show. If you've got a question for us, just email us radio at agphd.com. All right, so first on the show today, we've got Dan Anderson with us. He is with Iowa State University. Dan, how are you today?
4: Doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Thanks for being on the show. All right, so I want to start you with this question. I I was just talking to a few people about manure yesterday, and they said, hey, aren't we getting a lot of nitrogen restrictions and regulations and everything else? So can you tell us anything about any regulations that would be uh, either current in Iowa or being proposed in Iowa, where you're doing some research work to try to help set uh, whatever the guidelines should be for farmers.
4: Yeah, and I think in Iowa, we have no new regulations really this year that substantially change how we're managing our manure. So in some ways, that's nice, but certainly it is always a conversation uh, that we continue to have. Uh, A big topic is how much nitrogen should we really be putting on, right? Uh, we've <laughs> yep. all moved towards this precision ag movement, right. and we want to get the most from our manure. Uh, so it seems like we've been doing this for a long time. We should know how much we put on. But the truth is, the better we get at utilizing that manure, right, with precision instruments, better application, the more we can tailor some of our recommendations. So we continue to work on that. Timing is always important. Uh, Certainly, we know winter is risky and our liquid manure is already prohibited in in winter, but uh, we still have some discussions about how early can we go in the fall. Uh, Corn silage has started coming off. As soon as corn silage comes off, manure often will start going on. Uh, It is a short window, but we know warm temperatures sometimes can impact our ability to hold on to that nitrogen for the next growing season. Uh, So we have some work on timing of application and how that impacts nitrogen loss uh, that hopefully we can use to advise on what looks like some good regulations to complement that of course we're putting some cover crops in there to see uh, how they impact it and can they hold on to some of those nutrients uh, for future use
0: yeah that's what I was just going to bring up stabilizer or cover crop and I know on the east coast there are a lot of farmers who are going with the cover crop thing because they're finding that when they're using the cover crop it's sucking nitrogen out of the ground constantly and they have very little leaching so have you started doing some of that work or you say you're just starting on it now
4: Well, we've done some of that work. Uh, We've done cereal rye cover crops uh, in the fall with early manure application and regular uh, timed manure application, so early being October, and now we're doing some work with uh, sort of November application. With the early manure application, we saw reductions of 50% for the amount of nitrogen. We were losing to tile drains, so pretty substantial by having that cover crop paired with our manure. Uh, We're just starting to get data for what it means when we have better timed application sort of that november and then we've modified to really add some treatments that i'm pretty interested in namely uh interceding cover crops at v4 v5 so having them up and growing while that manure is put on rather than establishing our cover crop a little late since we would drill it on after corn harvest given our equipment limitations at the at the research farm uh so i think that's an interesting one and then uh we're doing some perennial ground cover. So trying to grow some bluegrass between our corn rows and, and seeing if uh, knocking that back in the spring with a herbicide program and then getting it going again here in the fall uh, can help alleviate that. So some good research that shows it really does work. It can be really effective, uh, but then trying to look at some new systems where we can we can play with it and modify what we're doing a little bit to hopefully make it a little bit more management friendly.
0: All right, here's my last question for you for today. So farmers who are having success with manure and raising tremendous crops... What are they doing with their manure applications to make their crop, their next crop, so successful?
4: Well, I think the big thing is they've gained some confidence in themselves and the decisions that they're making. So manure is variable from year to year, uh, from field to field. Uh, But the longer you've done it, the better you start to trust your equipment, right? You know how to dial it in, you know how not to have skips, misses, you can watch for plugs. And I think Oftentimes you see some, some of the bad things, some of the, the risks that you take with manure, and those stand out, and that makes you reluctant to keep trying it. But we know manure is a great fertilizer. It has nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. It's a complete fertilizer. It isn't always balanced, but it's a complete fertilizer. It has everything we need, and it adds that carbon to help build some soil health. So I think most of those guys have found a way to trust what they're doing, know how their farm and fields respond to that manure so they can trust how available it is for the crop that growing year. And then they've really built some soil health into, into their uh, their fields.
0: Real quick, you made the comment, it isn't always balanced fertilizer. So which nutrients are most out of balance when the farmer wants to raise corn, let's say?
4: Well... For the most part, all manures tend to be a little high in phosphorus relative to nitrogen for our cropping choices. So uh, especially cattle manures, right, we're going to have phosphorus accumulations in our soil if we're not careful, that tends to not hurt our agronomic yield, right? We'll have excess, uh, But it isn't always in balance with what we need. When you talk about being short on nutrients, for the most part, nitrogen is the one I would worry about the most, right? Is it available? How is our timing on getting it on? And is it still going to be there for our crops? Uh, but most of the micronutrients, sulfur, uh, iron, zinc, cobalt, they're all going to be there present in our manures to supply some of those micronutrients that our crops need. It's really a concern of... Are we building too much of these salts up in some of our soils where maybe we don't have as much rainfall from year to year? Or uh, are we getting our potassium extremely high and out of balance with some other things that we have to pay attention to? And soil sampling, using your soil testing results, can really help you see
0: where you are in that, that sort of program. We've been talking to Dan Anderson with Iowa State. Dan, great stuff as always. Appreciate having you on the show. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, next we're going out to Illinois. got Keith calling in. He farms out there. Hey, Keith, how are you?
5: I'm doing all right, Brown. How about yourself?
0: Excellent. So tell us about manure use on your farm.
5: Well, we pretty much use it on most of our acres. Uh, we've got a hog operation, and uh, we've got, um, we're have got we fair to finish, so we've got about every type of manure, at least as far as hogs go, that that, that you can have, and uh, anywhere from stuff that's pretty doggone weak and, and other stuff that... It uh, just doesn't take very much of it, and, and you're going to be out of balance with some, with one of the nutrients.
0: <laughs> which nutrients do you often end up out of balance on if, I mean, if you were to just let it go, let's say?
5: To um, be honest with you, it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. I, I heard you talking to Dan about that just a little bit, and it made me think about here probably, I'm going to guess 10 or 12 years ago, we started implementing uh, phytase into yep. our feed rations, Yep. which, uh, just to explain that, they just kind of lowers, it makes the phosphorus more available to the animal where you don't have to overfeed them phosphorus. Therefore, it's coming out the back end of the animal and making your manure hot in phosphorus. So yep. we, we are a lot more balanced in that respect than we used to be. And uh, so I, I guess to answer your question, I, I don't know that we're, we're really getting to that point. kind of it, Basically, I guess like you could say that it made it to where we could apply according to nitrogen needs. Uh, You know, instead of limiting the nitrogen because of the phosphorus being so high.
0: Sure. So is most of the manure you're dealing with dry or is it liquid? It's all liquid. Okay. And when you're injecting it, how deep do you usually place it?
5: I'm going to say probably six to seven inches, something like that.
0: Yep, yep. So have you, have you done different experiments with higher and lower rates? Well, I want to come back to something uh, Dan had mentioned, too, about salts. And I'm just wondering if you run into any salt issues or if you limit yourself, limit your rates based on salt concerns.
5: It seems like we've had more trouble. If, Which, granted, we try to utilize the nitrogen and go ahead of corn uh, in that respect. But we have had some issues by putting on too much in, in front of beans. Uh, You can just tell in in the germination and the the way the stuff, the beans come out of the ground, uh, that you really got to watch that. Um, Of course, a lot of times with manure, even though it is a a nutrient and a resource, uh, sometimes you kind of the logistics play a part in it too, as far as (laughs) you know how much manure I've got and how much ground I've got to put it on and and that sort of thing. So.
0: Yep. Oh, I hear you. We've run into plenty of that over the years. Uh, so, Keith, we got about a minute left. Anything else that you wanted to tell us about manure? Maybe anything that you've learned over the years that's helped you be successful in utilizing it to raising better crops?
5: It, it seems to me like, you know, of course, over, over the last 25 or 30 years that I can think of, that uh, in the last 10 years, we've bought equipment to where we can move the manure further away from the farm. Yes. And it just seems like that first and second and third year, that hasn't seen manure, you really see the benefit. Now, when you just keep, you know, you keep putting it on some of these acres that have already had it, you don't, you don't gain the benefit like you do whenever you go on that new ground that hasn't seen it before. And you can just see a lot of benefit from years to come after applying it once or twice.
0: Yep. I'm with you. Again, we've been talking to Keith out in Illinois. Keith, thanks a lot. And I hope you have a great harvest season.
5: Have a great one, Brian.
0: Yep. You too. Yeah, on our own farm here, when uh, my parents bought it out from uh, my mom's parents, uh, (laughs) there was some ground that my grandpa said, oh, that's not very good ground. Well, as it turns out, he just applied so much manure there, salt got way overloaded. After a few years, got that problem solved. Really good ground today. We'll talk more about manure right after this.
6: Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work how to put something ahead of myself. Whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for
1: Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Fill once, plant all day. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get VelTima Fungicide Swift Activity with fast payback. An expanded application window makes life simple. And it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. VelTima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. VelTima Fungicide is not registered in all states.
0: You are listening to Ag PhD Radio, I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio, just talking a little about manure. Pretty soon, uh, we're going to get to your questions in the AGPHD mailbag as well, getting a lot of those in. But right now, we're going to go to the phone lines, we've got Riley calling in from up in Canada. Riley, how are you doing today?
7: I'm doing well, Brian. How are you doing?
0: Excellent. Uh, it's, uh, it was nice to see you at, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of what, what event it was I saw you at, uh, not all that long ago that we had, but, uh, anyway, it's, it's good that people are getting back out again after COVID. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's good. Go ahead.
7: Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was very good to see you down at the PhD field. They, uh, had a lot of fun down there.
0: Good. Uh, so we're talking manure here and I was just curious up in your country in Canada, are there any regulations that you have to to uh, let's say navigate when you are applying manure?
7: Yeah, so there is there is some regulation. For the most part, they are looking at looking out for the guys who are applying it on the same field every year, just over applying. Sure. So the the regulations are so far away from what I would deal with that I don't really, I'm not too concerned about it, but it is something in the back of the mind. Um, The big one would be parts per million of phosphorus. Um, Once you get over 50 million, or sorry, 50 parts per million of phosphorus in the soil, then you're in their testing program and there's limitations on how much phosphorus you can apply to your ground. And then the other one they have is they audit the manure management plan so every time sure. a barn gets applied on a field you have to submit a manure management plan to the government and they will come out and audit guys and if you have over 150 pounds per acre of nitrogen left then the person who submitted the manure management plan can be subject to a fine but most sure. of the time it's just a warning they would get yeah yep so And they're, they're pretty good with that. Like if you have hail on your crop or if it's adverse weather conditions, they'll, they'll work with you. It's, it's just if you're gross negligence is basically what they're looking for.
0: (laughs) Sure. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. So what, what kind of manure are you applying? Is it cattle manure, hog manure, chicken manure?
7: So we, we get liquid hog manure and I get three different types. I have from a feeder barn, which is very hot on phosphorus and nitrogen. Yep. And then I get from a nursery barn, so that would be like ISO weanlings, mm-hmm. and that uh, there they wash a lot and small, so we get a lot of water and not a lot of nutrients. Sure. Then we get some from a sal barn as well, so that would be halfway in between.
0: Gotcha. So, what have you found over the years in terms of using all all these different types of manure? What has given you the best success on your farm?
7: Um. I, uh, I'm going to use a bit of a line from Chad Henderson. If uh, if ounces are good, pounds are better. <laughs> yep. um, that is not the case with manure. Less is more. Yep. So cover cover more acres at a lower rate is going to help more than putting big rates on small acres is what we found. So if you can top up with commercial fertilizer and have a good base from the manure, that's a springboard to help the yields is what we've found over the years.
0: Yep. That's exactly what we've found as well. Have you tried any deep injection or have you basically just run, let's call it six inches deep or so?
7: Um, so I bar- we get everything custom applied. Okay. And I try and barter with the custom guys to go as deep as they,
0: <laughs> they can. Yep.
7: And the deepest we've got them to go is nine inches. Oh. And they don't like the fuel bill on that very much. Right. Right. So, most of it would get applied at four to six
0: sure. inches. Yep. Yep.
7: And I actually have a question about sure. that for you. Go ahead. Um, I'm thinking about deep ripping my field with like an 875 yep. ripper. Yep. Should I go out and rip before they inject or after they inject? What would be best?
0: Well, uh, the challenge doing it after is when are you going to be able to get to it? A lot of times with manure, we run into we're right at the end of the season, and now they just put a bunch of liquid out there, and are we even going to be able to get out afterwards? So, I mean, ideally, I would tell you after would be great, but you got to give it a little time to dry back out again. Uh, It's just... I mean, we think we're far north, and you're—I don't—I don't, I don't remember—you know—500 miles north of us. So, <laughs> yeah, we're
7: six and a half hours
0: from you. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. So, and, and that's by the way, driving really fast. So I I, I, I would, yeah. The speed limit here in South Dakota, for anybody anybody listening who doesn't know what it is, it's 80 miles per hour, uh, and it's almost that fast in North Dakota. But anyway, the point <laughs> is, I, I. I, it it would be great if you could do it afterwards because then you can stir that a little bit more and I would prefer that, but I don't know if you're going to have the time to do it.
7: Okay. Yeah. No, That that's kind of what we were thinking is we'd go out before and yeah. then we'd try and run our chisel chisel plow through it after. Yep. Um. Just pretty much on the frost or right as it's freezing up.
0: Sure. Yep.
7: That's kind of what we do now.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right, well, hey, Riley, it's been great talking to you. Look forward to seeing you again sometime soon.
7: Yeah, for sure. Look forward to coming down this winter again.
0: Sounds great. All right, next we got Jason calling in from Indiana. Jason, how are things going in Indiana today?
6: Oh, great. Just ran my first uh, little field of
0: beans. How'd it go for yield?
6: Uh, Kind of trying ground, uh, missed some rains. Not quite on par, but... About what I expected on that field.
0: Sure. So a little below average then. A
6: little bit below, yeah. Yep.
0: Okay, so you have hogs, and with your hog manure, I, I guess I was just curious, what are you doing for application? Oh, and by the way, are we talking liquid manure here or dry for your farm? Liquid. Okay.
6: We've so, got about three or four million gallons of hog manure.
0: Okay so any good tips you have for us on what you've done with that manure and how you've applied it that have led that's led to better success with your next crops
6: well you've got to manage um you know we get more rain we're like 43 inches per year so (laughs) i'm
0: jealous yes we
6: do it (laughs) we do it twice in the spring and in the fall Um, probably economically spring works best it's just some years you just don't get those dry conditions. Sure. Uh, but our custom applicator guys up to forty foot wide with a quad track and a thirty inch track. So yep. as long as it's decent, he gets it on. Uh but we, we just try to lower our rates and get us across as many acres as possible. And uh it's we've changed our agronomy aspect and with wide drops and late nitrogen. So we'll in the spring we can get a buy with just using uh the spring manure and then just adding you know fifty units of nitrogen, whatever, and then the fall usually takes a little bit more, but that's we're trying to get across uh you know a thousand to twelve hundred acres with that uh, sure. four million gallons or so,
0: so are there any mistakes that you've made over the years that you're willing to share with us that uh, you say oh, boy yeah. I, I want to make sure that I don't do that again because that did not work out well
6: yeah it's it's usually just been laziness, you know the you know the guy. Uh, didn't get the barns all the way empty in the fall. So now we're going in over the winter and now we have a wet spring. So, you know, they're not our pigs they're Tyson pigs. We, we want them to be healthy. So if it gets close to where it's full, then you got to make bad agronomic choices because (laughs) you've got to get that manure out. So uh, that's why we do it twice and I try to not get ourselves in a, in a pickle, but it's been all wet application. It's been our problems. Um, 2019. You know, we just continue to get these 8 or 10-inch rain per month, March, April, May, and um, got a little jam there. But if we can put it down dry, then um, it's the best fertilizer in the world.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I got about 30 seconds left, Jason. Do you have any last comments for us on manure or manure applications on your farm?
6: No, I, I, I've talked about it a few times. You know, in the spring towards corn and in the fall, we're doing to this relay wheat after Mm -hmm. corn, so we'll plant early corn, we'll apply manure, and then we plant wheat in 60-inch quad rows at low populations, Hmm. and it allows the uh, wheat to absorb the ammonium nitrogen and tiller, and the tillers help uh, fill the rows, and then we plant beans in there, and because we have all this energy, we plant a a full-season bean, and when we prune the wheat, we get really big beans, and uh, we've we've been able to have, you know, 80, 90, 100-bushel relay beans, and and really good wheat that that is pretty cheap so that that's worked out pretty well for us
0: wow that's fantastic hey jason thanks a lot for the time today we appreciate it thank you we'll see you you bet all right stay tuned we'll be right back what's
4: new from new farm leopard herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans field corn and cotton leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management
1: and did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate ask your dealer for leopard herbicide available for fall
2: every week for more than two decades ag PhD tv has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable in each episode We discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more.
1: When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad-suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotech.com.
3: You work
4: for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at
2: Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPHD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com.
3: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. broadcasting the show today from the Morton studio just talking a little about manure. If you've got any questions for us you can certainly call us here 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743 or send us an email radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute before we do, just to kind of wrap things up on manure. I thought it was good that both Riley and Jason made the same comment that we have found over the years that applying lower rates of manure on more acres usually gets you further ahead. If you are going to apply high rates of manure, you've got to be really careful for a few different reasons. One, salt. That's my number one concern all the time with higher rates of manure. Especially if you're going to be closer to the soil surface and closer to where you're going to plant that seed. Uh, Let's see, it was Keith earlier in the show. I was just looking back at my notes here. Keith had made the comment, too much manure in front of beans was problematic for germination. And that makes complete sense because soybeans are more sensitive to salt than corn or wheat. So you have to be even more cautious about using higher rates of manure in front of Crops like soybeans. Now, you certainly can use manure in front of soybeans. I know a lot of times that's to some degree frowned upon, but we've put manure out in front of beans and we've had fantastic soybeans. The Probably the biggest concern for a lot of guys is the excess growth that sometimes you will see in these soybeans. In other words, they'll get tall. Some people call them rank. And I would just say make sure you have really high levels of soil test potassium before you're putting that manure on. The reason why is because if you have lots of nitrogen and you don't have a lot of potassium in that soil, you get your ratio out of balance very fast with soybeans. doesn't happen so much with corn, but it does with soybeans. So once you get those beans really tall, then you're more... The, the bean is more apt to get a disease issue, and that's the problem that we've seen. And certainly you're more apt to have lodging issues, especially when you don't have high levels of soil test potassium, as well as pretty good lo- levels of copper and manganese. Those are the three key nutrients for crop standability and strength of the stalk. whether we're talking corn, soybeans, wheat, or any crop. It's potassium by far and away number one, but copper and manganese are also very important in that as well. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag.
1: It's the mailbag!
0: Okay, first question comes from Gary. He says, I'm asking about my CRP acres, and I know I had asked a question about my CRP recently. Uh, Oh, and Gary's from Minnesota, by the way. Uh, Oh, sorry, Iowa, on the Minnesota border. Anyway, we had answered Gary's question earlier about thistles by saying, you should apply some milestone out there. Well, his question is, when should this be applied, spring or fall? Now, Gary, that is an outstanding question, and here's why. Because a lot of people will say to you and to me and to everybody as farmers, oh, fall is the best time to control perennial weeds. Well, that all depends on what's your definition of fall. To me, my definition of fall is as soon as September hits, I'm into fall. Technically, the definition is September 21. For some people, the definition might be when the weather turns really cold. Here's my point. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I do care about is you have to spray your herbicides on weed, on perennial weeds that you want to permanently kill. Not just burn the top growth down, but permanently kill. you got to get that sprayed at least a week or two before you're first killing frost. So if, like in our area, for example, October 10th is our normal first frost date, that means that I should be spraying pretty darn soon here. I always prefer spraying perennial weeds as soon as I possibly can. So to specifically answer your question, it depends on what time of year you're going to ask me that question. If you ask me that question uh, in the wintertime, I'm going to say, well, spray in the spring. If you're going to ask me in the summer or in the fall, I'm going to say spray in the fall. The reason why is, I just want those perennials out of there as soon as I can possibly get them out of there. You should theoretically have a little bit better kill as long as you spray in the fall, at least a couple weeks before your first frost, because now not only will that herbicide get down and into the root system because think about it with perennials, they are storing nutrients for the winter so they can survive the winter. So we've got things moving down into the root system and because of that the translocation seems to be a little better and faster getting these herbicides down into that extensive root system of the perennial weed and you'll usually get a little better kill plus the fact you really let's say you didn't even get a lethal dose into that plant you've got winter kill coming soon to help finish off the weed In the spring, you don't have either of those two factors going on, but nevertheless, even in the spring, Milestone is really, really good. So if you can, I'd try to get that spring done ASAP. All right, next question is from Troy in Kentucky. He says, hi guys, I watch Ag PhD on a regular basis and I enjoy the show. I'm having a problem every year though with army worm moths laying their eggs on my house. So I'm only maybe 100 yards away from a a large soybean field and a corn field where I'm at. Uh, These army worm moths are leaving unsightly residue, and it is a big job to clean all that residue up off my home. So I'm hoping you can provide some guidance on what I could do to dissuade these moths. I've applied three tons of lime on, on my ground next to the field, but that really hasn't done anything. What do you suggest? Well, this is a real challenge because to kill all the bugs in the sky, you know, and keep them off your house, it's really hard a lot of times what people are doing now if they if they're in this exact same situation as you is they are using a treatment on their siding and maybe even paint. I mean, especially in paint, you literally can put a pyrethroid insecticide into the paint, something like Tempo, and then paint that on in areas. But if you're dealing with metal soffits and gutters and vinyl siding, obviously you're probably not going to be painting that. But certainly you could spray these products, like the pyrethroids, like Tempo, around your house and hope for the best there. The biggest thing would simply be if whoever has the crop field there would spray probably one of the pyrethroids to kill the armyworm moths and and just control armyworms in general. That will help. But the problem with moths is they blow around. So in other words, even if the field next to you gets sprayed every week of the year with insecticide, moths could be blowing up from far away from you. So I don't know that I have any great solution We're probably always going to have that to deal with to some degree. But again, if it's me, I would probably try using some tempo On all of my property at about the time of year when these moths start to show up, figure the tempo is going to have two to three weeks worth of residual. So in other words, you'd have to reapply in two or three weeks, and then you should be in pretty good shape. A lot of times the moths will be in the grass, and then they'll go to the siding. So hopefully they they get in the grass, they, they eat the pyrethroid, they die, and they don't cause a problem on your house. That's the best that I would hope for. All right, next question comes from Kevin in Missouri. He sent in a picture for us, and it's a picture of a soybean leaf. And here's here's his uh, question. He says, can you tell me what you guys are seeing? Once in a while, I see a leaf that appears to be a sunburned leaf. Is this something that should be worrisome? I've attached a pick. Okay, so Kevin, yes, it does kind of look like sun scald to me and sunscald typically is not this big yield robber or anything you need to be exceptionally concerned about. But to be on the safe side, if you want to, you could take some of those plants that that have, again, what we believe is sunscald, and send those into a plant pathologist and have them take a look and just make sure you don't have some kind of disease out there. Obviously, the disease would be much more problematic. Sunscald, yeah, usually not a real big issue. All right, and then Jared sent a question in saying... Hi, guys. We are about to be deluged with plot results and trial results on corn and soybeans. Do you have any suggestions on how to evaluate product performance by looking at yield results, especially from one plot to the next? And what order would you consider these factors? Product performance, product strengths or weakness, cost of the product. So those are kind of my questions. All right, Jared. We appreciate that. And I think that's a good one to start our next segment with is just talking about how do you really evaluate some of these trial results? Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
3: As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH.
1: Case IH, built by farmers.
3: Don't turn
2: your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game.
1: Now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News.
3: Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
1: New
0: Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mares tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elavor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burn down. Welcome back to AgPHD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty live in the Morton Studio. Right before the break, we get a question from Jared who asked about plot results and how do we how how should we evaluate product performance when looking at these yield results? And in what order would we consider these factors? Product performance, product strengths or weaknesses, and cost of the product. Okay, so Jared, I, I would just say, first of all, it's confusing. It's not easy, in part because the winner this year is almost never going to be the winner next year. So as soon as you hear that, you go, well, why am I even looking at all these plots? No, we have to look at plots. We have to evaluate things. But the first thing that I'm usually concerned about is what are my weaknesses in my particular field? So, for example, here where we farm, there are a lot of people that have iron deficiency chlorosis. They have high pH soil, and they end up with yellow soybeans if they don't have a tolerant variety to iron deficiency chlorosis. So, that would be the first factor that I would always look at is... I'd, I'd want to see, well, what are the soil results? What are the soil test results out of that plot? In other words, did they have high pH or did they not? Is this a true test for iron deficiency chlorosis? That's really one of the factors that I'm looking at first. I, I, and not necessarily I'm saying for my own farm. I, I don't because we've gotten our pHs down. But for the guys that do have the high pH, that's a big concern. If he had soybean cyst nematode. if uh, uh, I mean, there are a number of different things in soybeans that you could look at in corn, for example, gosses wilt or bacterial leaf streak. Those are bacterial diseases where the first thing that's the most important thing is which variety are you going to pick. There's no resistance out there, but there's an absolute difference in tolerances from one variety to the next. So if you've had a big history of that problem, you've got to have that first. Or like this year, a lot of people are talking about corn rootworms. So the first thing that I'm probably going to look at if I'm in that situation and I'm raising corn on corn is I got to have something that's great on rootworm. I need two BT traits, and if I don't have that, then that variety's out for me. So that's the first thing that I'm always going to look at. In terms of cost, yes, cost absolutely plays in. We've had a number of people switch back to just standard old, what we would call conventional corn, because they can save $50, $80, $100 a bag. So it sounds like a lot. But by the time you get down to it, you know, you're probably talking, let's say it's $30 an acre, just as an example. Okay, well, at $5 corn, that's six bushels. All right, so six bushels, I I mean, that's a fair amount to overcome, but if there was the BT trait and Roundup, Uh, for example, you have the ability to spray Roundup. You have the Roundup trade in there. You go, Hmm. well, maybe this is offset. Maybe I can gain that six bushels. So you always have to look at those kind of things. So yes, I'm absolutely looking at the cost, but the flip side is what are you looking at in terms of yield? And I don't want to sacrifice yield with the cost, or at least I can't sacrifice much yield if I'm going to save some money. So yeah, it is it is kind of tricky. I, I would just say you want to try to find fields or areas where these plots are coming from that would might that would be similar to what you have. So similar soil type or similar defensive traits that are needed. Those are probably the most important things to me. Great question, though. All right, today on the show, we were talking about manure, and Kevin writes in, Kevin from Minnesota writes in and says, I applied manure and plowed it in before planting in spring of this year. The manure test results specified first year available and total available nutrients. Will the remaining amount from the manure show up in soil tests this fall, or should I subtract that from my fertilizer application next spring? Kevin, excellent question. I can't say that all of the nutrients will necessarily show up in your soil test but most of them probably are going to, so certainly by this fall. So I would just look at whatever your soil test says, and then I would fertilize accordingly. I'll also tell you this. When we have nutrients that end up in the organic form, so for example, there is almost always a bunch of organic nitrogen in manure. That's going to release over time, and that may release this next year. It might release two or three years from now. So the great thing with manure to some degree is that it's kind of a controlled release fertilizer. Some's going to be available. In fact, a lot is going to be available right away, but there's a lot that's going to come available over time. So anyway, I, I, I would just say soil test this fall and I would fertilize accordingly. Most of what you have left is going to show up in that fertilizer or in that soil test. All right. Next question is also from Kevin we had been talking about controlling perennial weeds with herbicide, and his question is, could it be that the weeds are caused by poor soil and adding a herbicide will just degrade the soil further? Well, Kevin, the herbicide is not going to degrade the soil, so I'm not worried about that part. But you're dead on that weeds are often caused poor soil there are certain weeds that do better in let's say low sulfur low calcium Uh, I I mean as compared to our crops so yes we absolutely want to make sure that we as farmers are doing everything we can to have great soil fertility when we have that then the crop is usually able to better choke out some of these weeds and some of the weeds uh, may not grow quite as well however I'll just say this a lot of times what I found in my experience is almost everything grows better if I do a fantastic job with fertility. So to think that we're going to escape using a herbicide to control the weeds or hand weeding or cultivation or however you want to control the weeds, I don't care. But the point is that we're going to be able to escape the weeds with great fertility and just great soil overall, I doubt it. But I would say we're giving the crop A much better chance of success, even if there are weeds out there, when we've done an excellent job with fertility and everything in that soil, reducing compaction, building soil organic matter, having that soil pH balanced. So, do all that stuff, and it's going to help tremendously for your crop, whether you have weeds out there or not. Oh, and I'll say too, and I don't know if maybe you don't like to use herbicides or anything. A lot of people talk about that. I'll tell you something that my dad told me when I was young. He goes, you know, if there was a way to use no herbicide, that would be fantastic because all herbicides will hurt the crop to some degree. Because even if they don't, if it doesn't look like it hurts the crop or anything, it still takes some energy for that crop to metabolize the herbicide. But he said the problem is we can't just wave our magic wand and get rid of those weeds. And even if, let's say, we went out and pulled the weeds every day, you were still going to suffer some yield loss because even though we don't see the weeds or they're very small, they're still taking water and nutrients away from our crop. And there's still competition there and that crop senses it. So plants do a lot more and are a lot smarter than we often give them credit for. They sense when plants are around them and they react with stress. Just like for you and me, when we're under stress, we don't do as well. Same thing for your plants. So The advantage to herbicide is we can get these weeds under control often before you even see the weeds, and that's part of the reason why we have higher yield, because the plant is under less stress. I'd also say that plants will produce more natural carcinogens because of the stress that they're under when there are weeds, insects, or diseases that are attacking them or even near them. So we often can have much, much healthier crops by using pesticides. Now, granted, we have to use those in moderation at labeled rates, use the right products and all that kind of thing. But I'm just saying herbicides can be really, really good for everyone when they're used correctly. All right, next comment is from Brandon. Uh, So Darren and I were doing an Ag PhD uh, segment and uh, we must've been arguing about something and he goes, don't fight guys. Look, Brandon, uh, so Darren and I are obviously brothers And uh, we're separated by two and a half years, just so you know. I'm two and a half years older. Darren gives me a hard time because I got a lot more gray hair than he does. Uh maybe that's because I have Darren as a brother. But you know, honestly, we're just joking around. Uh so if you ever see us fighting about stuff, yeah, we're just we're ha- actually having fun. So uh it's it's been great working with Darren. He really loves doing stuff out in the field whereas I'm a lot more of the office guy and I'll make a lot of those kind of decisions uh and handle uh, you know a lot of the bookwork and all that kind of stuff. So we each have different strengths and weaknesses and so it's actually made for a pretty good partnership. All right, and the last one we'll get to here is from Kyle, and he says, I got a question about banding fertilizer in strip-till. I recently was able to buy a strip-till rig, but it doesn't have dry fertilizer on it. Uh, so, should I put liquid on, or should I just skip it? Um, and, oh, and by the way, Kyle is from Ohio. So, Kyle, look. Um, oh, by the way, he says he has 8 to 10 CEC. I would say I'm a big proponent of using some kind of fertilizer, whether it's liquid or dry. We're usually talking P and K. If you want to do any nitrogen in the strip till, I keep the rate low and I'd only do that if I was going to strip till in the spring. But yeah, I, I whether you have to go liquid or dry, it doesn't make that much difference to me. But I always want to get some P and K and maybe some micros out there. That's a good way to go. You get some more nutrients deeper in the soil. Before we go, just want to say thanks to my, thanks to our production staff, and thanks to everybody who uh, called or wrote in with questions, and thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.